Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about responding to the continuous challenges thrown at us and how to achieve success coming out of a major setback. With me today is Eric Ream. Eric is a professional speaker and published author whose vision is to help busy professionals rediscover their passion so they can redefine their purpose and gain the courage to act. He's a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and author of the Amazon best-selling book, Rise Above Chaos, The Five Principles to Discover Significance and Live in Peace. Welcome, Eric. It's great to have you here with me today. Awesome, Michael. Thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. This is the first podcast interview of 2023 for me, so I'm really looking forward to hanging out with you. Thanks for the opportunity. You are welcome, and thank you for your service to our wonderful country. I much appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks, bud. I'd like to start off by asking a little bit about your book. The title references the concept of discovering significance. Can you share with us what living a life of significance means to you and why we should all pursue that? My premise behind that idea is I believe, Michael, we all want to achieve some level of significance in our life, right? None of us wants to get at the end of our life and realize it meant nothing. I mean, that's a pretty horrifying thing for a human being. We all seek purpose and meaning. And, you know, if we're going to spend uh, what the study suggests, 82,000 hours of our life working, adding value to a community, you want to know at the end of that, you left a mark, right? You left a mark that people are going to remember you, that your community is better because you were in it. Your career was better off because you were in that career. But more importantly, you have an impact on your family. So those are really the three primary areas that most people are concerned with, in my opinion, is you know what you do for a living, you know what you do for your within your community, and then what you do with your family. And so, to me, I think we all want to achieve some level of significance in our life. Well, I believe that significance is when you're in alignment with what you're passionate about, what gets you going out in the morning. Because I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but in the mornings is probably when I'm the most fearful. I'm the biggest coward because it's chilly out, it's dark out. And like, man, I'm not sure that uh, what I'm going to do today is going to be worth it. You know, that's when that's when things start to seep in your mind. And so it's what gets you out of bed in your morning. That's your passion. But more also is where it's aligned with what you're uniquely qualified to do. So we all have unique skill sets that I believe we're hardwired with. I mean, I, I know this for a fact just from empirical evidence when I had twin boys. So both twins were born in 2005. They came out of the same womb. I can attest to that because I was there. They grew up in the exact same environment with the same rules and regulations and culture, but yet they are totally different. I mean, they are hardwired on who they are. They have unique strengths that uh, it just makes them who they are. And so I believe that when you start to find your level of significance, it's when you find alignment with what you're passionate about and then coupling that with what you're uniquely qualified to do. And when you align those two things, I believe that's when your significant path begins to form in front of you. So that's kind of the premise behind the book. That sounds great. And I couldn't agree more. And I definitely see some of what you're talking about in my boys as well. How old are your boys? Uh, my boys are 21 and 18. Oh, yeah. Nice. So are they both out of the out of the house or is one still there? One uh, finishing up high school right now. Yeah, congrats, man. So is that it? Is that your youngest is 18? That's my youngest. Yes. Oh, man. So you're doing what we're dealing with. My wife is she's really freaking out, man. My boys are going to be going to be seniors next year. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this phase of life has come to the end. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to get quiet around the house pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Something that I've seen far too often over the years and experienced myself is when a leader gets caught up spending most of their time fighting fires, trying to find time for additional projects and responsibilities that get piled on because the reward for doing good work in their organization is more work. Mm -hmm. I sometimes call it being on the hamster wheel. 
based on my experience being on the hamster wheel myself and observing others on it, the best case scenario results in being overwhelmed and burnout. Worst case is you start turning into someone else, sacrifice things you want to do professionally and personally. And that's all in an effort to keep up dramatic pace. And in a lot of cases, you end up damaging the relationships that mean most to you. Mm. What's your experience with this? And what do you say to people who are living this life and can't even think about thriving through all the chaos? Well, I think really the in the crux of what you just said, I think the commonality there is most of us, uh, we have a day-to-day lifestyle where we're trying to get through the day trying to get to the weekend and we pack ourselves with so much stuff that you don't really have time to think. In fact, one of my favorite books of all time is a book called Thinking for a Change by John Maxwell. And you know, his thought is that we've kind of lost the art of thinking, Michael. I mean, we've kind of forgotten it's a skill set and we get in the act of doing and don't really evaluate much. So you and I had a nice conversation before I jumped on board because I just got back from an annual retreat. And in my book, it's uh, element number seven of the seven elements of the perfect day. It's called building systems. And so the whole point of building systems in your life is to create margin to provide you space to become a a better thinker and become more self-aware. And so I just went on this annual retreat and it's a forced way for me to do just that, where I can build time in my life to evaluate and become aware. And it's amazing what you discover when you slow down just for a moment and you actually take a deep breath, you evaluate what's going on around you and you start to think about, well, why am I doing that? Or how did I let that seep into my life? That doesn't make sense. Why am I doing that? Because what you were trying to do is we're just trying to accomplish things. We're trying to make get make things happen. What becomes a temporary solution becomes just a part of your life now. And it becomes something, a recurring item that you just allow in your life. And before you know it, you get to what you're talking about. You're overwhelmed. There's different reasons why I believe people burn out, by the way. People burn out, I think, because of overtasking themselves. Also, people burn out because they overtask themselves with things that are not in their strength zone. That's key. The further you get out of your strength zone and the longer you get out of your strength zone, that's where burnout awaits. And so I think one of the fundamental drives of every person's life is to figure out how you can be within your strength zone. I call it your happy place. Some people call it your power zone, whatever you want to call it. That's the place that we all want to find ourselves and be. And that's a lifelong thing. And so one of the things I wanted to outline in the book is a process on how to do that. But one of the steps is to become aware. There's a story I love to tell all the time about uh, the young mother that's making the ham. By the way, here's a question for you. This this is actually a big debate in our house. Do you have ham or turkey on Christmas, Michael? I'm just curious. What's the primary? We are a turkey family. Yeah, that's what I propose. My son says ham. I'm like, no, dude, no. When you're in in grade school, you don't draw hams at at Thanksgiving. You draw turkeys, right? Around your fingers and this and that. That's, That's what you have. Well, anyway, so that's a big debate was not been settled. But anyway, uh, there was a young mother. She was making a ham for the holidays and she cut the ends off the ham and she put it in the pan and was preparing it for, for dinner. And her young daughter, who was old enough, she was young enough that she didn't quite know a lot, but old enough, she was starting to ask questions. So she was watching her mom in the kitchen and she asked her mom, said, hey, mom, why did why do you cut the ends of the ham off when you put that in there? 
And the mom's like, you know, I don't really know. That's what your grandmother used to do. And so she got on the phone and called the young girl's grandmother and said, Hey mom, I'm getting the ham ready. And your granddaughter asked me a question. I didn't have an answer to. And why do we cut the ends of the ham off? Why, why'd we do that? And the grandmother answer said, the reason why I did that is because my pan was too small and I didn't have a, the ham would never fit it. So I had to cut the ends off to fit it in there. Well, the mom just thought that's the way you did things. Didn't even think about it. Didn't question it and started doing it. Well, that is really kind of an analogy of our life. We have a lot of tasks, a lot of things we do that maybe it made sense during a phase, but it doesn't make sense anymore, yet we we continue to do it. And so I think that's something that we have to constantly evaluate. And what I recommend you do is you do a weekly retreat. I do it every Sunday for an hour. You should do a quarterly retreat. I do it quarterly for two days. And then an annual retreat, I do it every year for one week. And what I do is... I find those tasks where I'm cutting the ends off on the ham and it doesn't make sense anymore. And I'm very deliberate and maniacal about getting those things out of my life. So that's, that's kind of my thoughts on that. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. I, I love the concept of actually formalizing that and, and being structured about it. I believe in reflection. I've read that leaders uh, on a typical week spend less than, I think it's seven or 11 minutes reflecting and thinking about what happened and maybe what can you do better or uh, just kind of celebrating what what went well. Mm. So yeah, to do this on a regular basis is a key thing. And I was just taking some notes here as we were talking. And I also love the concept of staying in your strength zone. Uh, you know, we have to get out of our comfort zone every once in a while. And that's how we build new skills and grow and such. But uh, it does take a lot of extra energy. And when you're already running at full capacity, if you're not in that strength zone, you're going to burn out. So, yeah, I think something is key there. There's a difference between a strength zone and a comfort zone, actually. So you can get out of your comfort zone, but work within your strengths. That's, that would be something I'd be an advocate for. Yes. But getting out of your comfort zone for the sake of getting out of your comfort zone doesn't make sense to me. What makes sense to me is working within your strengths, but also pushing the limits of what you can bring to the world, but also being aware that those things got to be in alignment, that you're out of comfort zone, out of your comfort zone pushing, but within your strengths. That's key, I think. Thanks for the clarification on that. (laughs) So if somebody does end up spinning out of control and goes through what you called a rock bottom moment, Mm. what do you recommend people do to respond to that? Well, I think number one is, spoiler alert, is we're all going to get at our rock bottom moments. You know, you've been you've been around long enough, Michael, you probably had a couple rock bottom moments. And so I think one thing is just to understand that we all get there at some point and, and also define what I think rock bottom is, because I think life happens to us no matter what. It's just life on planet Earth. Things are going to happen, financial things, physical things. I'm sure there's you could probably regale me on a, a bunch of silly things that your boys have done over the past that you had no control over, but it affected your family. And so those things happen. I believe rock bottom for most human beings is when we let people that are closest to us down. I think the fundamental thing that as human beings, we need more than anything is we need relationships. We need healthy relationships. And when we're not in healthy relationships, and usually because it's things that we've done that were in our control, to me, that's what a rock bottom feels like. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're alone. Would you agree with that, Michael? Absolutely. 100%. Right. Right. So I think that when you find yourself where you have maybe some uh, gap in expectations in your relationships, then I lay out a couple things in there that I think is important to think about. One is you got to you got to think about you first, because a lot of times what I found, like when I hit my rock bottom moment where I let my wife down, I let my dad down, I let my colleagues down at work. Part of it was because I was letting myself down. 
And I think a lot of things, a lot of issues that we have to get through as people starts with looking in the mirror. And so that's where we kind of started this whole thing is that I believe when you find yourself in a rock bottom moment, that's a perfect time to evaluate. Are you out of alignment with your passion and your strength? And I guarantee it. The answer is probably yes. Whenever I see someone uh, act out of character maybe in a line at a, uh, at a grocery store or people start yelling at each other, or there's some strife and, and emotions rise up. I always tell say to myself, and I tell my kids, I guarantee it, that person is just out of alignment with their strengths and passion and they're frustrated. And so usually when we're frustrated, what do people do is they, they want people to be with them. They want people to be in that frustration. So it's easy to lash out. So I think number one, it starts with you and being self-aware. Are you allowed out of alignment with that? The second thing I recommend, and it, and by the same way, when I say recommend, this is just unpacking what, the journey that I went on myself. This isn't something I read in books. This is stuff that I had to figure out on my own too, as I went on my own journey. I think the second thing is you have to start thinking about what is it that we're habitually doing that continues to bring keep us in this rock bottom moments because we're creatures of habits. You know what I one of the things I learned in the military is that it's amazing how adaptive our bodies are. But it's also amazing at how your body will adapt to whatever you tell it to do. And so your body will adapt to negative things just as much as it will adapt to positive things. And so what I realized is that I had to start every day and continue my day with a fundamental, what I call the seven elements of the perfect day that I outline in the book. And so these are seven things that are habitual things that I have to make sure that I've mastered every day if I want to have a significant life. Because what I've learned is significance is not home runs. I think that's something I had to learn that I didn't realize as a young man. I thought I always had to hit home runs on everything. And what I've learned is really life is it's a series of base hits. It's just getting it's just getting on base, man. And a lot of that happens in the unsexiness of life where it's the the grind of life that really nobody cares about, nobody really rejoices or celebrate. As a young man, I used to always want to be the guy getting the Oscar. I always wanted to be the guy getting all the applause, only to realize that really that's this 1% of it. It's the 99% of the daily grind, which now is what I call the seven elements, the perfect day. And then the last thing I would say is in order to live a life of significance, Michael, I truly believe you cannot do it alone. Uh, you can't live on Desperation Island. There is no example of any man or woman achieving any level of significance by themselves. I believe it's incumbently important that you have to surround yourself with the right people that you want to do life with. That's also in alignment of what direction you're moving. And that's so key. So the three things is one, start with yourself. Number two, surrounding yourself or protecting yourself with what I call the seven elements of the perfect day. And three, surrounding yourself with the right people. Even during my train trip, where I got to a couple key points where I was really deliberating some things, the first thing I did was I picked up the phone and called very important people in my life. In fact, one guy that I, I really like a lot, his name is Mike. He actually met me in Chicago at the Union Station. He drove a train in and we spent an hour or two just me bouncing ideas off him because I don't want to make any decisions without these smart people with my best interests in mind helping me and guiding me. So those are the three things I would do if I find myself at a rock bottom. That's some great advice there. And as someone who advocates uh, in a lot of our executive programs about having a a great support system, as well as looking at the mirror first when you have a challenge uh, and are addressing a challenge. That really resonates a lot with uh, with my beliefs, as well as uh, a lot of what we teach in our programs. That's awesome. So what else can you tell us about the seven elements? Left to my own devices, I will always lean towards negative, failure, 
and laziness, right? I think that's just a human condition. And so I realized based on, like I said, from the military that I, uh, in order to survive, you have to build systems in almost like a machine to force you to stay on track. And so in the book, what I realized is that there, I believe that there's an unknown force that is constantly in conflict with you moving forward in a positive direction. There's all kinds of books on this. There's all kinds of theories on this. I don't know what it comes down to other than I just know it's there. It's, it's a pot. It's an, it's a, it's opposing force that I have to deal with in the book. I just call it the beast because I, it's something I can picture in my mind. I can picture in my mind, this animalistic type thing that has no skin in the game. It really doesn't care about my feelings. It has no personal vendetta against me. It's just hardwired to hunt. And what it's hunting is for me making bad decisions. It feeds on that and influences that. So what I did is I, I kind of looked at it this way. I believe that we live in a hostile world. I mean, it's just how life is set up. As soon as you walk out your door, there's a lot of stuff stacked up against you that you have to deal with, conflict, friction, things you have to deal with. And if you go out there totally exposed, the beast is going to eat you up and spit you out. And so I look at each one of these seven elements as almost like a layer of protection, not separating you from others, but protecting you from the negative influences of that opposing force. And I believe the first, I could just list them for you. And then if the audience wants to find more information, because I know we only going to only have a few minutes, we can give some resources, but I believe they're in this order, by the way. Okay. They're, they're in prior order priority. The first element I believe is the managing your priorities. So it kind of talked a little bit about what you discussed that we over, we over prioritize. In fact, most people don't have priorities. They just have a list of tasks and they, they we don't prioritize very well. So I, I walked through a methodology behind that. Um, here also, by the way, I would tell you, if you apply what, what I'm kind of advocating, your life is going to get pretty messy because you're going to mix some things up, but it's okay. Cause your life's a mess anyway. So you might as well make it a mess doing the right things and cleaning some things up. So number one is managing your priorities. Number two is managing your energy. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't have boundless energy. I'm going to turn 50 years old this, this year, Michael. And I just don't have the same energy that I, when I, when I was 25. And so with the energy I have, I have to be very smart on how I use it. Number three is work within your strengths. We talked about the strength zone, but there's a methodology. There's a three-part question. I recommend everybody go through to figure out, figure that out. Number four is live with clarity. This is my favorite one because I, I find the most beautiful thing for me is when I interact with someone who's living their life with tremendous clarity. It's so rare but it's a beautiful thing. And so having clarity in your life, there's there's some key areas there that I, I kind of walk you through. And then number five is managing the expectations. That's, that's if you're going to do life with others, you're always dealing with people who have a set different set of expectations than you do. That's where conflict comes from is the ma uh, the gap in expectations. So I walk through a methodology and how to manage that properly. And then number six is assembling a team. You mentioned leaders gets your focus as leaders, but you don't have to be a formal leader to have a team. You know, you need to have people that you're intentionally have in your life that you surrounded yourself with that you're managing and you're edifying and you're uh, elevating those relationships at any one time during what phase of life you're in. And then finally, we kind of touch on this a little bit. It's building systems and having building margin. I'm a big fan of margin. What I mean by that is giving yourself some space to breathe. So it's just not day to day, week to week. And before you know it, five years have passed. You have no idea. You had no idea how you got where you were. And so putting those seven elements in, by the way, you don't have to do all of it once. If you get number one in, 
That's great. Master that. Then get number two. Once you get number two, get number three. But over time, once you get those seven elements, then the beast literally has to go through all seven walls of protection before you it can get to you. It's almost impossible. It's fantastic. Oh, thanks for going through all seven here. And you know, I can see and, and start thinking now about how they can really help insulate people from the challenges that are awaiting for you once you step outside, as you said. Yeah. That's awesome. uh, one thing I did want to go back to a little bit uh, and dig a little deeper on is conflicts within relationships. And mm-hmm. when a conflict does uh, arise within a relationship, as they're going to naturally do, how do you handle it so you can avoid repeating a rock bottom moment? Okay. Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is I think that you can't de-conflict every situation in your life. That's number one. So I, I'm not advocating that you have to, I got to go everywhere I was conflict and I got to figure this out. I think the first thing is you have to identify who are the key people that you really, truly want to lean into. Have you ever heard of Dr. Dunbar? I can't remember his first name, but I read this in a book, uh, Eldridge. I think his name is John Eldridge, uh, Getting Your Life Back. And in the book, he talked about the Dunbar number. He discovered that we only have emotional capacity to relate with 150 people. That's it. And so even with that, I mean, it's not like you're going to have 150 close friends, but with that, you have to then boil that down to who are the handful of people that are important to me where it's a win-win, by the way. So if you and I were in a relationship, it can't be just me taking all the time. This has got to be you. I'm adding value to you, you. You're adding value to me. And so then you want to prioritize that. So I have a handful of people that are very important to me. Those folks, I want to make sure that I'm managing those expectations in a very proactive way. And so- what I what I always recommend is that we have to have the courage to what I call what I say have the conversation. The problem is people that are close to me, I will often make assumptions on number one that I that I know what they're wanting in any interaction I have with them, and number two, I always make the bad assumption that they know what I want. And it's amazing how very rarely is that the case. And so I always like to use an example of my wife and I. I don't know about you, but did you ever have? kind of a, a a tense conversation with your spouse during the COVID, during COVID? Did you guys ever have any like tense moments where you just had to kind of work through some things? Absolutely. Yeah. My wife and I had that and it, it happened uh, during a hike. And so her and I were on a hike because that was all we could do during COVID work on puzzles and take our dogs for a hike, you know? And so we were going on a hike one day and my wife turned to me and she said, you know, um, Bloomington, where we live in Indiana, she's like, uh, this is not my forever home. It was kind of a, a big jaw-dropping moment because it wasn't something I'd ever heard her say before. I thought we we're just going to pay off the house. And when the kids graduate, we're just going to travel and enjoy life. But she's like, I don't want to live here forever. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? And she goes, I want to move to Los Angeles. I'm like, where'd that come from? It came, I mean, I, she'd mentioned she liked it before, but as a speaker, I, I fly out to LA all the time to do gigs and she would go with me and she really enjoyed going out there. And I said, well, listen, you're going to have to get a new dream because LA is just not a place that I want to go there for many, many reasons, mainly just money-wise. I just know it's very expensive to live there. And I said, what is it that you really want? And so there's a power question that I had my mentor, Michael, teach me. And the power of question you have with when you're in conflict with someone, ask them this question. And this is what I had to ask her. What must be true? So there was a gap in expectation. I thought we we're going to live in Bloomington. She didn't want to live in Bloomington. So there's a gap. So I asked her, what must be true for you to be happy with our living situation? And so she had to think about it, Michael. We got back together several weeks later. And this is what she said. It was fascinating. After she thought about it, she said, this is what this is what must be true for me to be happy in our living situation. I want to be able to open the windows of my home 
and I want to be able to hear and smell the ocean. That's what she said. And I was like, well, we can do that anywhere. It doesn't have to be LA. That can, there's all kinds of places like that. I said, where do you want to go? And she'd done the research. And she said, well, I was thinking somewhere between Charleston and Savannah, anywhere along there is fine with me. So guess what we started doing? Every trip that we could take, we started going down there and we started narrowing it down to Beaufort, uh, Bluffton and Hilton Head. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to Charleston and we're just checking all these areas out. But it started with me having the courage to ask her instead of fighting with her and getting an argument with her. I just said, well, tell me what must be true for you to be happy. Then I have to ask myself what must be true for me to be happy. And really for me, it's just I don't want to be a slave to our house. So I don't want to overspend on a house. And I don't want, I just want to be near an airport so we can fly and we can travel. Well, I can do that anywhere. Once I came to alignment with that and I understood what my wife wanted, well, guess what happens in 2024 when my kids graduate, we're all going to move to South Carolina. We're going to find some place. So someday when my wife in a few years opens her window, she'll hear and smell the smell the ocean and things are good. So that's the key. I think when you find yourself, number one, surround, make sure you lean into the right people. And then number two, have the courage to ask them that question. What must be true when you find yourself in conflict with someone? I really appreciate you sharing such a personal story. And as somebody who has been the victim of uh, my own assumptions (laughs) in conversations, uh, let's just say, I really like those power questions. And uh, those are going to be things that I'm going to be asking for sure uh, going forward in all of my relationships. Yeah. Awesome. There's one thing I do want to mention. This is from my law enforcement background. And what I've learned is when you ask somebody what's wrong, Nine times out of 10, the first answer they give you is never the real one. And that that's kind of a fascinating thing. So if you do find yourself in a situation with a colleague at work, you know, you've you've had that feeling where something's off with someone. Oh, yeah. If you have the courage to ask them what's wrong, just know up front, whatever they tell you the first time is not going to be the real answer. And what you got to do is you got to get really good at asking them. Besides that, is there anything else? And get to the crux of the issue. And then once you get to the crux of the issue, then say, Okay, good. What must be true for us to get past this? That's that's where that was. What must be true comes comes from. Yeah, definitely need more than one question, and got to really use your ears to listen. Yeah, and, my record is seven times. By the way, I've had to ask somebody that seven times before they finally told me the real answer. All right, that's good to know. I have to keep that in the back of my mind as I'm uh, <laughs> trying to uncover things. Well, before we bring this episode to a close, what's one thing you would suggest everybody listening should do today to rise above chaos and motivate themselves for their future? Well, one thing I would say is really something I've discovered this last week. And what I've really landed on after this last week on my retreat is that we just don't think big enough. I think we allow ourselves in a box. We allow ourselves to just kind of settle for, I guess this is the way life is going to be. And it, life is so much bigger, I think, than what we allow it to be. And so if you allow yourself to expand a little bit about what your life could be, when you begin to think about, man, if I just were to pursue this passion and I were to align with my superpower, how big could my life be and how much impact could I have? So I think going to 2023, I think every one of your listeners challenge yourself. If I could take the lid off my box and really lean into what I really truly believe is my passion and my superpower, what is it I could actually accomplish? And so I'm at some major decision points in my life. And my wife and I, on Sunday night, we were having this very discussion. And she asked me a question that was very profound. She said, what do you want to wake up to every day between these two decisions? So if you make decision A and you have to wake up every day to decision A, is that something you want to wake up to? Or do you want to wake up to decision B? 
And so I think that's a beautiful way to look at life is what, what do you want to wake up to and start exploring and unpeeling that onion. And if you can start aligning to this big picture idea, your passion and your superpower, you're going to be great. So I think to answer your question, think bigger. All right. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show, share your thoughts around uh, living a significant life and a meaningful life, personal stories, and also throwing down a challenge for everybody. So challenge accepted. If people are interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? Yeah, just go to my website, ericream.com. I'm the only Eric Ream in the world, by the way, spelled that way. So it's E-R-I-C-K-R-H-E-A-M. So my mother was ahead of her time when she named me that because she knew that someday that's going to be significant on Google searches. And so thank you to my mom. So just go to my website, ericream.com, and everything you need will be right there, including, by the way, a significance assessment that everybody can take is totally free. It's 25 questions and it will show you where you are on your journey to significance. And it gives you a free ebook on what to do about it. That sounds awesome. I will add some information about those resources into the show notes so everybody can access that easily. And I'm going to go out there this afternoon and take it myself. Awesome. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.